want to introduce to you our speaker today, Laura Peterson. Four years ago or so, she and I were next to each other in a very long line waiting to get into the TED Talks at Concordia TEDx. And it, the line wasn't moving, and so we kind of rocked and what are we each doing? And, and I heard about her organization, Hands the Hearts International, about how, how it shows the, the low top, the low tech high thing of, uh, of love. You hear about this. But, uh, and since that time, um, Laura's gone on to have an audience with the Dalai Lama and received an award. She became a TEDx speaker herself at Elite just this last year. And then the pinnacle of all achievements, I asked her to come here. <laughs> <laughs> so it just gets getting better and better. And, and, and I, if you, you want to find out more about it, she's going to be back there to talk, uh, to answer any questions and stuff. But I, 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 I present to you and ask God blessings on more things. Matthew 
were too late. What I didn't know scientifically then, but now is proven by Harvard and every other major university in the world, is that by age three, 85% of the child's brain is already developed. And that's the foundation for our lifetime. It's our early life experiences that are literally built into our brain's architecture, into our very biology. And so when a child's brain is chronically bombarded with stress, be it poverty, or violence, or neglect, it alters and stunts brain development. To build a healthy brain and grow a whole human being, love is required. Having a parent or caregiver who is nurturing, responsive, and consistent, it buffers a child against almost any hardship. And it's that relationship which establishes the foundation for better or for worse, for our empathy and trust, as well as our health, learning potential, and even societal success. And those outcomes for better or for will not only impact that one child, but will impact all of us. Over 10 years, working with hundreds of kids, the worst common denominator was the lack of love. By age five, Maddie and a slew of other kids like him had already fallen off a cliff. And in my work, I've been standing on the bottom of that cliff, passing out band-aids for the equivalent of amputations. And it wasn't So, much to my own surprise, I did something I never thought I'd do, is I founded a nonprofit. I had looked around, I wanted to see who else was doing something about this issue, who else was preventing attachment disorder. Love, this thing, seems freely available anywhere in the world. It's not a poverty issue, it's not a literacy issue, not a resource issue. But looking around, there were no other groups working on this. And when I wanted to reach the most little people, the earliest time. I also wanted to reach not only the most in quantity, but the most vulnerable. I thought of the kids who would be the most vulnerable would be kids who didn't have parents at all. And doing some research, in 2004, UNICEF put out a report that there were more than 10.5 million orphaned children younger than six in Asia alone. That's more than the current population in New York City. So that seemed like a, a good target to start with. So I found that this nonprofit, Hands to Hearts International, be a whole other talk if don't start a nonprofit, it's really more painful. But we'll save that. Um, and the initial kernel of an idea was to work with orphanages and teach caregivers that their love, their actions really matter a lot. Now I have a whole other talk, so talk number three, if I get invited back three times. The third talk is called Don't Build Orphanages. It was really, really bad. That's a whole other talk. Um, but in general, orphanages are no place to raise a child. It's not where you raise a human being. There is no good orphanage. There are institutions where babies are fed and fake and interact with on predetermined schedules. Move from activity to activity, regardless of the child's wants or needs. And throughout the course of the day, a child can up to 10 different people or almost no one will turn for them. So there's where we began. In an orphanage in South India, in Chennai, we started and gave trainings to women from a handful of different and they were all kind and smart and interested. But none of, them had, none of them had any training on child development. And it was more often that I witnessed their efficiency rather than their empathy. Our training covered basic child development milestones, but we also taught about play, about baby massage, about baby games. The key lesson was teaching that babies are having their own thoughts and emotions before they're talking. 
Because most often people relate to little babies before they're talking is in kind of one or two ways. Either like this cute little blob that you just keep away from fire, um, and there's just not much going on there, so you don't interact. But there's a whole bunch of brain development that's happening. Or they just treat the baby as kind of an extension of themselves. So if the baby's crying and being, you know, upset and not enjoying the same thing that they are, well, that's a naughty baby. Once people can realize that the child is having their own experience in the world and their own needs and wants, and you can respond to those, life gets easier for the caregiver and the baby. Um, another key lesson we taught was that while teachers and doctors are really, really important, the most influential person on a child's health and development is the parent or caregiver. And it's rare that people hear this message. And the women we were teaching, they were both parents at home and caregivers at work. And they've never been told of their value in either role. And to be clear, Hannah's heart doesn't come with books or toys or videos or stuff. We only come with knowledge, touch, and eye contact. These are things that everyone in the world wants. And the things that everyone in the world can give. So we talk love through actions. And in only a few days, these women transformed. They came alive. They can now be found constantly holding and snuggling babies, talking, singing with them. They had woken up to their own power. And the children were soaking it up. They were happy. They were more engaged. They were smiling. Fast forward five months. I returned to India, and we're going to visit some of the orphanages where my local colleague was leading the trains, has led the trains while I'm in the way. And I go and visit them, but I hadn't really had any expectations. She just spent this four-day training. It seemed like a good idea, but that wasn't really the big game plan. And um, so upon arriving, I was like, I don't know. I was really surprised to hear that, like, oh my gosh, the women are so much more nurturing now. They're picking up the babies when they cry, they're singing to them, they're playing with them. At one orphanage, um, the women were competing, and the competition was, my baby gained more weight than your baby. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was a great orphanage. In another orphanage, I heard the babies now responded to their names. And that didn't make any sense to me. So I asked why they wouldn't have responded to their names before, and I said, oh, no one ever called them by their so the babies were happier, and they were also healthier, because I was told that no babies have died since the training. Some people cheer at this, and that was not my response. My response was fury, because we had given a four-day training, and babies stopped dying. This was not complicated, this was not difficult, this was not expensive. So why was I the one doing it? Why wasn't everyone, everywhere doing this? And that led a whole other problem inside of me. And so we started looking, who else wants this training? And we started hearing from parents saying, my baby didn't come with an instruction manual, and I don't know what is going on. And I was like, oh, that makes a lot of sense. That's pretty hard. Um, so we, the majority of our work has now been in very rural communities in developing countries. Are there parents in the room here? Yeah. So as you know, parenting is a pretty hard job. Um, the most competent people I know can't manage to do everything they need to do for their baby and get the shower in the same Now imagine a setting where there's profound poverty, no electricity, no clean water, 
there's barely schools and there's no hospital. And if you do get to the hospital, there's barely medical. <coughs> Imagine trying to raise your child there. And yet, we give the same training there, always by locals, for locals, all these guys, no one ever sees me. Um, but we, the moms and dads here, like, look, you're the important one. You're the ones that make the difference. We love the teachers and doctors, but on a day to day basis, it's your love, it's your interactions, it's what you do that's going to make the difference. So, in this area, this is an area that has been, it's been a conflict, violence, the stories that will turn your stomach and follow you for generations. And a common hobby at night is for men to go out drinking with one gasoline, which I was there, it's probably what I would do too. It's not an easy place to be. And that leads to them coming home and shared violence with the family and violence gets passed all the way down to the children. And when they started to hear, like, look, you matter. What you do, what you say, the time you spend matters and makes a difference. They started to do this. And have the great experience of like, wow, this actually feels pretty good. And it kind of creates this positive self-reinforcing feedback. It's like, and it feels good. And so the men stop going out at night. Not all of them, maybe, but a lot of them. And staying home and reading, spending more time, playing with their children. And this felt great for them, their wives, and their kids. And so one of the outcomes that we heard there for about 40,000 people. They stop corporal punishment and they stop domestic violence. So when parents saw that there were simple things they could do every day, regardless of their circumstances, they did them. It's pretty easy. In 2004, I couldn't make it all better than that. What began as, but what began as a response to his suffering has awakened love, kindled compassion, and in a few cases saved lives for 200,000 moms, dads. The World Bank has called early childhood development one of the best investments a country can make, and yet what we do remains novelty. We teach people that their actions and their love matters. And most people are like, it's just so simple and it's so obvious that they assume that I work with really stupid people. Don't they know how to love their babies? Don't they know how to show love? And my response is, do you? And if you do know how to show love, how often do you do it? How generously do you do it? What are the criteria for you to show love? Not a big fan of my neighbor because she's fill in the blank. Don't like that guy, fill in the blank. Or it doesn't really matter. What I say or what I do, it doesn't really matter. So I'm not going to be nice to it. Just, it's not a big deal. But guess what? We talk about love when we're in these places, when we're in church, when we're sharing with each other, we're very generous and very kind, and then we go out the door, and then what? Oh, well, that's a stranger. That doesn't matter. We don't even think, like, they don't care what I think. And we dismiss and discount our actions all the time. I've made a whole career about love. I stink at showing it. It's a practice. It's an action. It's something we all have the power to do. We think, oh, well, I'll keep it at home. And then at home, it's like, oh, I'm kind of tired now. He knows I love him. You know? <laughs> so I ask you to consider, to think about ways that you can put your own love into action. For people that you know and care for already, 
and for those that you're just passing by. There are ways that you can show it, share it, give it, everything. 